Good morning. How are we doing? Awesome. My name is Brock, and if we haven't met, I would love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> Terrific. I was in fourth grade in a school assembly. I was telling some of our students this not long ago. My friends at this school assembly, what are you, nine, ten in fourth grade? My friends are around me, and they're like, uh, dude, Gloria, she really likes you. And I was like, really? I mean, she's kind of cute, and yeah, they're like, you should ask her out. You should ask her to go with you. We used to, I don't know if they, they don't really use that term anymore, go with. We weren't going anywhere. (laughs) You should ask her to go with you. I'm like, now Gloria is in the same row as me, but like 40 kids down in the school assembly, in these bleachers. 40 kids, 50 kids down. Dude, ask her out. And I'm just... I didn't know it at the time, but I'm an Enneagram 7. We don't think before we act. It's an issue we have. I immediately am like, yes, I want to ask Gloria out. So the person next to me, I'm like, ask Gloria if she'll go with me. Pass it down. (laughs) Yeah. Like 40, 50 kids down the row. And it gets, the message gets to Gloria. And immediately my heart is pounding in my chest like, ooh, maybe, maybe not a good idea. Her friends are like, ooh, and they're huddling together. You know how girls do. Oh, my God. And I am like, oh, man. And I just, I, I don't look anymore, and I'm just like, oh, no. Like, what is, but the answer starts coming back down the road. It gets 40, 50 kids down. The person next to me, she says, yes. <gasps> yes! My friends were like high-fiving me and my homeboys. were hanging like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Fist bump, yes. Her, her friends down here, yes, awesome. I'm like nine years old, I'm 10. <laughs> and it just dawns on me. I look down, and I'm like, hmm, I don't think I like her anymore. (laughs) It's a true story. I'm just not feeling it anymore. I was like a minute ago. I'm just not feeling this anymore. Tell her I break up, pass it down. (laughs) I'm not joking. To this day, I like grieve like the pain I caused precious Gloria. He breaks up all the way down the row. How awful. How awful is that? Oh my goodness. I hate this about me. Glory, I'm sorry. We are Facebook friends. And that's silly, right? It's kind of silly. But here's the truth. It's a classic case of being fickle, right? I think at times I still have a fickle heart. 
an inconsistent heart. One moment, I'm on, and then the next moment, I'm off. One moment, I'm passionate, and then the next moment, I'm passionless. I'm feeling it one moment, not feeling it the next. And what we're going to see in this story, Palm Sunday, about 2,000 years ago, on this day, we're going to see an amazing story, and we're going to see a group of people in the story, and then what happens after the story, and you're going to go, man, what a strange turn of events. How fickle. How inconsistent. In the most dramatic way. And it's going to be easy to look at them in judgment. It's going to be easy to be dismissive of them and be like, how could they go from hot to cold in that extreme kind of a way? How could they do that? It's going to be easy for you to judge, for you and I to judge. Similar to like you're at the restaurant and you look over at that table, you know the table? Like seven, eight people, they're not speaking to each other. They're just all looking at their phones. And you're like, how pathetic. You look at them in judgment. They're not even speaking to each other as you reach for your cell phone. (laughs) The hypocrisy. See, we are broken and inconsistent too. We have tremendous capacity to love God. And then quickly turn away. It's amazing. But I want to initially first look at the consistent passion of Jesus. That's where we should begin. It was in 2004, I went to see the Passion of the Christ, opening day, Ash Wednesday. And to be honest, I had never seen, I had seen Jesus films before, I had never seen anything like this. And it was, for me, a transformative film. I was a young man, 2004, watching this film that just showed the consistent, unwavering passion of Jesus. You think about your passion. What are you passionate about? What are you consistent about? Family. You're passionate about your family, maybe your friends, your job, a sports team, maybe. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus, what are, what are you passionate about? And if, 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 if we can look at his passion, if we can look at the scriptures, I think that Jesus would say, well, I'm passionate about the restoration of all things. I'm passionate about forgiveness. I'm passionate about you. And you look at his story and you go, yeah, yes, that's obvious. It's obvious. What kind of sacrifices do you make for the things that you are passionate about. See, the deepest, most meaningful sacrifices we make in our lives are toward the people that we are most passionate about. So this is why the cross communicates such huge thing. This week, Holy Week, first day of Passover, as we walk into the final week before the death, the, the cross on Friday, and the resurrection on Sunday. What an amazing week. This is our week. This is our week. And the cross communicates. It's telling us so much more than maybe initially we even think about because as Jesus hangs on the cross, he is saying restoration means this much to me. Forgiveness 
means this much to me. You mean this much to me. It's an amazing look at unwavering love. And so today, we begin Holy Week as we now turn and look at the beginning of the last week before the cross and then the resurrection, and it begins today, 2,000 years ago. And so I want to invite a good friend of mine by the name of Sebastian to read our text this morning. Come on up, Sebastian. Let's give him a hand. Sebastian is a senior in high school. He is an amazing surfer, and he loves Jesus. Can you read our passage? If you have a Bible, before you read, go ahead and turn it to Mark chapter 11. If you have a Bible app, Mark chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 11 of Mark chapter 11. Palm Sunday, and this describes the scene and Seb is going to read it for us. You ready? All right. As they approached Jerusalem and... Thank you. <laughs> As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are doing this, say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of, the, of those who followed shouted, Osana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming a kingdom of our father David, Osana in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went in the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Dude, good job. Can we give Sebastian a hand? Awesome. Thank you. You did perfect. So if you look at verse one, it begins by telling us the direction of this long, hard hike. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, and actually, we, the bridge, have already kind of been starting discussions about we as a church maybe visiting the Holy Land someday together, but if you've ever been there, you will know that if you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, which many Jewish pilgrims would do this time of year, every year, it involves a long, hard climb. Jericho is the lowest city on earth, 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem, which is only 12 miles away, a dozen miles away, is nearly 3,000 feet above sea level. So this road that you're looking at goes through a hot, dry desert all the way to the top of the Mountain of Olives, at which point, quite suddenly, you have all at the same time green, beautiful plants. Oh, there she is. Green, lush grass, flowers with this breathtaking view of Jerusalem itself. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It's a breathtaking experience to do this hard journey and then to get to the top. And it's like, oh my goodness. It's incredible. 
And they would do this every year, every year, this time of year at Passover, celebrating how God had liberated them from slavery in Egypt. So every year they travel, and they're coming to this place where the living God has placed his name and his presence. They would meet with relatives and old friends every year at Passover, and they would feast and drink and pray and celebrate and dance. And this was all implied by the Jewish convoy, pilgrim convoy, up this treacherous, steep climb from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, in this passage, so in your mind, you're like, they're so excited every year to go and celebrate this, to remember this. But you have to add in this passage the anticipation and gladness of the mood of Jesus' followers as they are coming up the hill. Desert into lush garden. It's Passover time. But it's more than Passover time to them. It's freedom time. It's more than freedom time to them. They're thinking it's kingdom time. The king has arrived and he is heading now into his royal city. It is happening. This is all about the great hope that Jesus brings, the freedom that he will now usher in, God's presence being in the person of Jesus. At last, the promise of the Messiah has come true, and they are freaking out. They're freaking out. King Jesus has finally arrived, and the long climb up through the Judean wilderness was the climb to the kingdom. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen all by myself. (laughs) That's my go-to line, by the way. I like that line. So everything Mark is painting here in this brief description, this brief account of how they arrived into Jerusalem is designed to emphasize this and focus on Jesus himself as king. I want you to not miss this. And then Jesus decides to ride into the city and commandeer a colt for the purpose. Matthew tells us it's a donkey. In the Hebrew, colt can mean horse or donkey. Matthew clarifies, it's a donkey. And this is prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus. Literally, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, so that when the Messiah would come, they would know who he was. This is key, hundreds of them. And this one is one of those ways in which we will know who the true king is when he rides into the city, when he rides into his kingdom on a donkey. So literally, Jesus rides in on this wild, never-been-ridden, not-untamed kind of donkey, and the whole city, Matthew tells us, is stirred up and they start yelling, they start screaming at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven, Hosanna, praise God. Josephus, this ancient historian, tells us 
that at Passover every year at this time, the time of Jesus, literally a million Jewish pilgrims would emerge on the city. So we're talking about, dude, this is a scene. It's amazing. There's an uproar, an uproar of multitudes of people declaring Jesus as king. Now what's interesting, back to our fickle hearts, some of these same people who are yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, praise God, the Messiah is here, the King is here. Some of these same people will be screaming at the top of their lungs just a few days later, kill him, crucify him. We'll come back to that in a moment. Here's something we can kind of nerd out on, though. In a fascinating historical book entitled The Last Week, Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan write this amazing book, and they describe this other procession that is happening at the same time of Jesus' procession. So Jesus is riding in on a donkey on the eastern side of town. But at the west end of town, in the city, is Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem. And he is riding in to the city on a war horse. And his military might is behind him on war horses and on foot. I want you to picture what they're trying to do here. This is like a scene out of Star Wars. I want you to see this. Am I right? Darth Vader. We have a picture of this. Coming with his, this is, this is it. This is what Mark is picturing. He's like, Pilate, Darth Vader, same thing. Total intimidation. Why would Pontius Pilate and Rome do this? Historians tell us they did this every year. Every year at this time. The governor of Jerusalem the Roman governor of Jerusalem, on Jewish High Holy Day, Passover, would enter in as a show of force. The Romans understood that Passover was all about hope for liberation, freedom. So if you hope for freedom, if your hope for freedom is at an all-time high, we will remind you who's really in control. So as Pilate and his military are riding into Jerusalem, they are saying, you rise up against Rome and we will crush you. Don't get too carried away in your hope for freedom. Just remember who's really in control, who really has the power. Now at the same time, Pilate is riding in on the western side of town. On the eastern side of town is a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus And he is riding into the city on a donkey. And the whole city is celebrating him. Hosanna, Hosanna, we praise you. You are our Savior. Hosanna in the highest. You finally come. It's happening. We praise you. What is Jesus doing? What is he doing? He's actually launching a counter-procession. You get that? 
If Pilate's procession was meant to intimidate, if Pilate's procession was all about force and anger, Jesus's was all about humility and love. Jesus rides in on a donkey. And so this begs the question, and I need you to be thoughtful here. What is your favorite character in the movie Shrek? Is it Shrek? No. It's Donkey. (laughs) Why do we like Donkey? He's sweet, and he's fun, and he's beautifully simple. He has such a great heart. They picked Donkey to represent this, this concept, these attributes in Shrek for a reason. Jesus rides in on a donkey, and here's what he's saying. I am humble and full of kindness and love, and I actually will usher in everything that you are hoping for. But it is going to be in an unexpected way. So the people in this moment, are overwhelmed with celebration. They know the larger prophetic context and what this means, and this then leads to another kind of climax in the story where they take off their outer clothing, their cloaks, their jackets, their outer robes, And they take palm branches and they wave them and they lay their cloaks and the palm branches on the ground. Now, in this culture, this is very specific. You only do this for royalty. That's it. No one else. You would only do that to welcome in a king. And what is clear here is that the disciples and the multitudes of people Now believe Jesus is the true and rightful king of Israel, of the Jews, and he is on his way to the capital city. This is the moment of royal reception. The shout of the crowds declare this. This is what is happening. So I am in seventh grade, and I'm at a men's conference with my dad. I'm sitting down, seventh grade boy. Now, when you're a kid, students, it's easy to be in a room like this and think that this is for the adults. You're kind of passive. You're just kind of observing. You're playing your Game Boy. I didn't have a Game Boy. I did nothing. (laughs) In the 80s, this was what being a human was. (laughs) I should say Nintendo Switch. Sorry, I'm, I'm out of date a little bit. All right. They're preaching this text at this men's conference. Spontaneously unannounced, spontaneously, these men, and there was probably maybe like 500 men, all ages, college through elderly, everybody in between. I didn't see any other kid there my age, though. 
spontaneously, these men in the middle of this passage stand on their chairs and they start screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high, like, like, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. They start screaming and praising and yelling at the top of their lungs. And I am in seventh grade, and I'm like, this is interesting. And my dad. My dad, is, his hands are like this, and he's screaming, and he sees me, and he goes, <laughs> like, come on, buddy, let's do this. And I remember sitting there going, Preston, you with me? You feeling that? You're like, <laughs> so I get and I stand. Now I stand on my chair. I can still feel it. At this point, I'm not comfortable. I'm. It's awkward. And my dad's like, "Come on!" And I go, "Woohoo! Woohoo!" And I just, and then I start yelling, and I start joining in, and I start praising, and I start crying. I don't know why. I start crying, and I'm yelling, the seventh grade boy, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus. Hosanna in the house. Like, I just join in. I just joined in. See, this scene is dramatic. It's super dramatic. And then Mark in the passage, if you're looking at it, has this odd ending. What happens after this moment? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. At least not right away. Jesus walks into the temple. He looks around. Some versions say he walks into the temple and he takes it all in. And he walks out and he gets his disciples and they go back to Bethany to begin remembering and celebrating and walking through the Passover. But this Passover will be like no other Passover. Look at you. Actually. <laughs> it will be like nothing ever history has seen. And what happens next is mind-blowing. They kill him. They declare him king one day, and then they kill him a few days later. They call him king and then reject him as their king. It's an odd turn of events, actually. 
And before we're too hard on them, honestly, we're no better. I mean, really. Many of us initially came to Jesus and we thought, now, all my troubles are going to go away. Or we thought, when things didn't go away, we got frustrated, maybe disappointed in God. Or maybe he asked something of us that was difficult, and we thought, man, wait, I don't think I like you asking me to do this, or to give up that, or to go there, or to say this, or to bite my tongue. And we take him off the throne, and we put ourselves back on that throne. And here's what Palm Sunday, this day is all about. It leads us in context of what is happening and what will happen in just a few short days. It leads us to a prayer. Jesus, Hosanna, you are my God. You are my King. You are Lord. You are my God and there is no one else but Lord. I have a tendency to take you off the throne. I have a tendency to put myself on the throne. I have a tendency towards self-rule. Change that in me. Be my king. Be my Lord. You lead. I will follow. This is a prayer of repentance that Palm Sunday leads us to. It has to. You know what repentance is. You're heading north to San Francisco. You see signs for San Diego. And you go, crap, we're heading the wrong way. We're going the wrong direction. Repentance is, I got to change my mind and I got to act. Repentance is get off on the off-ramp, go across the bridge, get back on the on-ramp, and head in the right direction. That's repentance. God, I have a tendency to consistently go the wrong direction. Curb that in me. Change that in me. Every day, every day I put my two feet on the ground and I say, change that, fix that in me. You are my God and there is no one else. Forgive me for putting the crown on my own head. Yeah, sure, come on. Here's the truth is that you and I make a terrible king. You make a terrible God. And if you hang in there, even through some of the disappointment of following God, because there is, and I thought that thing would go away. Not still there. I thought that bad thing wouldn't happen. Oh, the world's broken. It's still broken. If you hang in there, what you end up discovering is that Jesus' lordship, his kingship is so good. His plan is way better than your plan. It is. His leading your life is way better than you leading your life. In the book of Revelation, an amazing scene happens. In Revelation chapter 4, it's painted for us in this beautiful description. There is Jesus sitting on the throne, and there's 24 elders around the throne. 
And they have crowns on their head, and they're standing around the throne. And these elders, these 24 elders, you're going to have to take my word for it. I went to seminary. You didn't. These 24 elders represent all of humanity. But not just all of humanity. The humanity of those who have declared Jesus is king. He is king. He is king of my life. And these 24 elders fall to their knees and they take their crown off and they lay their crowns down before Jesus, King Jesus. And they bow and they worship him and they sing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You are the Lord. You are God. You are so worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And we worship you. We follow you. We bow to you. We surrender to you. You lead. We follow. And the invitation... The invitation is this, to join in, to allow them to represent you to him. And the invitation is for today. It just is. God, I have an inclination to self-rule. And it has led me, well, to nothing good. So you lead. I will follow. Help me. You are my Lord. You are my King. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And can we just... Maybe close our eyes and open our hands if you're comfortable, just as a, just you kind of saying to God, I am wide open. I just want to invite some of us in the room have never asked Jesus to come into our life and to lead us. That's what that Lord, that word Lord means. Jesus, be my Lord. Lead me. I will follow. And so right now, right where you're at, I just want to invite you to say that prayer. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my God. Be my king. Come into my life. Can you just say that under your breath? Come into my life. Do a work in me. Fill me with hope. Give me peace. Your presence. Empower me to follow you, God. And for the rest of us, we can echo the same prayer. Jesus, you are my God and there's no one else. Just say that to him, God. You are my God. There's no one else. There's no one else. I choose you. I follow you. Forgive me for my capacity, my tendency to walk away. To be passionate one moment and passionless next.
do a work. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. A couple of weeks ago, I guess now it's maybe been a month ago, some of us were at were visiting a church and they were just they're just known for being great at praying for people. I gotta tell you, every time they offered prayer, I went up and got prayed for and uh it was multiple <laughs> multiple times. Sometimes I went up and I they were like, What can how can I pray for you? And I was like I don't know, just bring it. Just pray. We would love to pray for you. I don't know if you know this about the bridge. We love talking to Jesus. We love praying. And we would love to pray for you. And so I just invite you to come up. Maybe for you it's been uh, a long, dry walk recently. I just want a fresh sense of God's presence in my life. Maybe for some of you, it's healing. Maybe others in here, this morning I invited Jesus into my life. Will you just pray for me? Let's pray. Let's worship.